be my last diary entry. We've been stranded now here in this wasteland of an international break for what feels like years. I can't remember the last time I saw any proper football. If someone gets this message, anyone gets this message, please send club football as soon as you can. I'm Jim, and this is on the left side. Yeah, football is back after yet another international pause in a footballing season that seems to be having more breaks than a player's leg after an unwanted altercation with a Roy Keane tackle. In fact, it was Kino that provided one of the more interesting stories of the week, as he now finds himself in the queue at the job centre after he and Martin O'Neill left their managerial jobs with the Republic of Ireland by mutual consent. Or, to put that in non-footballing terms, with a bloody massive payout. It should be no surprise to many that their dynasty has finally come to an end after failing to win a single game in 2018 and going an impressive 397 minutes of football without scoring a goal. A stat that makes Romelu Lukaku look like a bloody goal machine. It should also be no surprise that the departure has been by mutual consent because who in this world is brave enough or stupid enough to sack Mad Dog Kino? What may be a surprise, however, is what Roy Keane actually did in the job. Something that even Irish fullback Matt Doherty had trouble identifying on the latest RTE2 football podcast. What was Roy Keane's role in, in everything? Um, well, I guess he was Martin's, Martin's assistant. No, no, no. The question was, what was his role? Not what was his job title. They're very different things as anyone who's ever tried to get assistance out of a sale assistant at B&Q will tell you. That was also quite some pause. Six seconds to consider what Roy Keane actually did. Dermot O'Leary has announced X-Factor winners with more urgency. I can now reveal the winner of the X-Factor is... What was Roy Keane's role in everything? Um. It's expected that Mick McCarthy will now get the Ireland job with Robbie Keane as his number two because you always need to have someone called Keane in the job. Next up, Hull City's Will Keane, Everton's Michael Keane and Irish cognitive scientist Michael Keane. And thank you to Wikipedia's page on Famous Keanes for that. And it was, in fact, another player interview that provided a lot of my entertainment during the international break. And it was an interview with the shy and retiring Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who stepped in front of the BBC microphone to give his views on life, love and football. You say the first line in the book, I came from another planet. Which planet are you from? I came from my own planet. I came with something that nobody has seen. So I came from my own planet. Planet Zlatan. Planet Zlatan. Zlatan came from Planet Zlatan. Oh, I always thought he came from Malmo. Who knew? He came from another planet just like Superman. In fact, during the whole interview, it seemed that the Zlat was mistaking himself for some kind of superhero-type character. 
even when he talked about being injured. The first thing when it happened, I didn't understand what, what, what I was going through because I never had a major injury. It never happened to me because I was like Superman. Nobody could break me. I was unbreakable. See? Superman. And then he says he's unbreakable. Wasn't that the name of a film with Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis? Is Ibrahimovic just trying to work in a load of movie titles into this interview? Because I was old, but I was not old enough. They made me feel like Benjamin Button. He bloody is, isn't he? It's like when the England squad kept trying to get song titles into their interviews during France 98. I mean, it's hardly Club Tropicana, Bob. I almost expected the next bit to be... I've always tried to play fast and furious. And at Manchester United, we had a few good men. But I don't think to the past, and I keep my back to the future. Playing football is my dream. I love to play every weekend at Bernie's. He came across pretty well in the interview, and on the topic of guys who turn out to be lovely despite what you're expecting, it turns out Harry Redknapp is a top bloke as he navigates kangaroo anuses and koala testicles in the jungle for I'm a Celebrity. Mm. He's even managed not to reverse over anyone's wife yet. He is, of course, a bit of a diamond geezer, but at the same time, he's instantly shot to the top of everyone's celebrities that I want to be my granddad list. And this was undoubtedly one of the highlights, with our Harry answering a special Twitter Q&A. Ryan on Twitter asked you, Harry, if you could take any of your ex-players into the jungle with you, who would it be and why? Oh my God, that is a difficult one off the top of my head. Brilliant. This was it. We all knew what was coming. The jokes before he went into the jungle were all about Redknapp smuggling in Nico Cranshaw with him or taking Peter Crouch as his luxury item. The gag was set up. Perfectly. Surely Ari had read the script. He knew exactly what to do. He wasn't going to let us down, was he? Um, I might take Rio Ferdinand. See how he gets on with it. He's a good lad, Rio. Rio bloody Ferdinand? That's not right. He didn't even say John Terry, which has been his stock answer on Talk Sport for the last four years whenever he's been asked what footballer he'd take pretty much anywhere. Disappointing. Still, he's done himself no harm at all in the nicest man in football league. A league that is still, presently, topped by Chelsea's N'Golo Kante. Kante has already got a reputation as a nice, humble guy. A man who was too shy to ask for a photo with the World Cup trophy after he helped win it. A man who popped around to a fan's house for a curry and FIFA session after missing his Eurostar connection. And now, a man who refuses to dodge his tax obligations. Kante was caught up in a Football League's expose this week after it was revealed he'd set up an offshore company into which Chelsea would pay 20% of his wages and thus save him oodles in tax bills. However, the big news was that Kante refused to have his image rights check paid into the account and instead insisted that he should earn, quote, a normal wage. And when I say normal wage... This is football, and of course that means an astronomical amount of money. But he does want to pay tax on that sum of money. The figure that's been banding around is that the midfielder will be shoveling £6.7 million a year into the Treasury, courtesy of his brand new contract. Something which he could have easily avoided. And it also means he's paying more in tax than Amazon and Starbucks combined. It has been reported by some papers, and you can probably guess which ones, how obscene it is that a football player can earn so much money that he's paying more than two of the biggest companies on the planet. But 
is that really the issue here? Starbucks made £13.4 million in profit last year, whilst Amazon had a turnover of two billion quid and yet only paid 4.6 million pounds in tax. N'Golo Kante is not the bad guy here. He's paying his fair share and to be fair, he can probably afford it. But still, even with Kante's wage packet, he'd probably think twice about forking out 80 quid on the new Manchester United shirt that goes on sale this week. Say what you like about Manchester United, they like a challenge. And after suggestions that they couldn't come up with a worse football shirt than the horrific pink number that's their away kit this season, they've gone back to the drawing board and released their fourth shirt of the year. Fourth shirt! And it is the worst yet. The weird thing is, this shirt won't ever be worn by a player on the pitch. United have teamed up with EA Sports and Adidas to launch a shirt that'll only be worn by the little pixelated players on FIFA, but it will be available to buy in the computer game and in real life. And it's an absolute doozy. The shirt is bright day go yellow with leopard print on it and it looks like the kind of thing that Paul Pogba would probably design if he was given half the chance. And my only real guess behind its inspiration would be that it's to honour another Mancunian hero. Coronation Street's Bet Lynch. Could change things, isn't it? It's horrific. It's a symbol of where the game is nowadays, and it's just a shame that the shirt isn't going to be worn by the players on the pitch, as wearing such a hideous monstrosity in the game versus Palace this weekend might have distracted from the hideous monstrosity that was the game itself. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We are done. Do share it with your buddies and do hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already so you get the next episode as soon as it's ready. Plus, head over to Twitter and give us a follow at On The Left Side and I'll see you next week for more football funny. Bye. On The Left Side is written and produced by Ant McGinley and Jim Salverson.